welcome back everybody to that recruiter show with rodney and david glad to have you back and uh david how's how's everything going everything is great here i am enjoying some very very hot weather out here in southern california and um other than that i have i have no complaints nice. i have no complaints in life bruins yeah. are doing all right pack 12's doing all right Pac-12 is looking really good, actually. The Bruins hit and miss, hit and miss, <laughs> um, which is par for the course over the last, I don't know, two decades. And yeah. so, um, you know, the Bruins, as much as I love them and root for them as, you know, being that they're my alma mater, um, you know, they're the Bruins have shown time and time again that they're very good at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> and so I, um, I will hold my breath until... The proverbial um, fat lady sings at the end of the of the uh, of the game. Well, you know, I got to tell you, I know that not everybody's a, a college football fan, so I will say it's the last year of the Pac-12. It's basically disintegrating, getting folded up and folded up into other conferences. But what a last year! It's so competitive. It's yeah. so fun. Unbelievably competitive. Heisman Trophy candidates. Yep more than one Heisman Trophy candidate legit in the Pac-12, which I don't remember the last time that's actually anybody has been able to say that. And so it's uh, it's very exciting. And I think it's honestly very ironic um, mm-hmm. given given the cur- current situation uh, with some of the, 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 the conferences and how they're all changing next year. Yep, I, lo- I love it. And, and, you know, the weather's cooling down even here in Florida. You know, we broke out our, our parkas. It got down into the 60s. So everybody Uh-oh. was in their boots and parkas and hoodies and like, okay, yeah, it's it's Florida wintertime. Um, yeah, I love it, though. You're right. Football weather, my friend. Football exactly. weather. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. So so what are we going to talk about today? So today, uh, what we're going to talk about, so it's interesting. I, 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 and I'm, I will give full credit to LinkedIn on this. LinkedIn actually put out an article that were predictions for 2023 for recruiting. And I, I, what I found interesting about it was now that we're getting toward the end of 2023, we have the ability to look back and see, well, were these predictions, you know, did they come true? Did they not? What did they miss? What did they hit? Um, but also, I think you can look at these predictions and go like, well, I don't think that hit in 2023, but I do see that kind of maybe coming down the pipeline in 2024. So I just, Mm -hmm. I found the article to be very interesting and it goes through a lot of different things. We're not going to talk about everything in this article, but it, you know, but it talks about everything from, you know, influence recruiting is going to have on, on organizations, employer branding um, and, and recruiting influence on that. Those, those types of things and, you know, skills versus degrees and, 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 you know, and there's, again, there's several topics within this this pretty voluminous article, but I do think that it's very interesting to think about as we go forward, right? We'll certainly talk about, well, this came true or this didn't, but also, you know, what do you and I see mm-hmm. on a go-forward basis that I think is going to be something that we're going to have to uh, think about as we roll into 2024. Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting in- information, and you're right. I'll give all credit to LinkedIn because, A, just putting predictions out there. That's a big deal. That's that's hard to do because people can easily kind of come back and throw that in your face. And, you know, it's yep. it becomes a credibility thing, um, you know, and, and as you said, I think some of it was it, it. There were items that I almost think were aspirational. Right. So it's like if mm-hmm. I've seen this in HR in general for decades, which is, you know, we deserve a seat at the table. And if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that. Um, and it becomes kind of a, an identity thing. It's almost like, please take me seriously, right? Um, and, and so I think there's some aspirational pieces to the, similar to that here. Um, yep. And then some of it, to your to your point, maybe is not a 2023 item, but 2024. Um, yep. So it'll be interesting, you know. And I think there's 17 factors that they that they kind of went through. We'll we'll link to it, but. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a good conversation. So, you know, what would you like to start with? I think there's there's 17 to pick from. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? I think I think it it, it is interesting. Uh, you know, the one that I would I, I think that that we should probably start with is this idea about um, kind of what you're mentioning there that that seat at the table and the influence mm-hmm. and and how recruiting. Will somehow will help will drive change in business. I'm I'm trying to remember the exact yeah. quote here, but it's something something to that effect, right? How recruiters will be at the front end of this and driving driving changes business in critical uh, changes, yeah, business critical changes. Thank you. And and it, what's funny about this one, in a very ironic way, is the way the article frames it is more 
recruiting will drive business critical changes because they will recruit people that are going to be change drivers within a business, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, which that's, that's great. And I think that recruiting absolutely has the ability to do that. But I think that when you're looking at 20, certainly the end of 2022 and then 2023, Mm -hmm. it, again, the irony, and it does kind of make me laugh is that I think recruiters certainly had an impact on the business, but I think the impact that they had was they were all being asked to leave the business. Right. Versus, right. versus doing, doing the recruiting, um, as we've seen such such terrible widespread layoffs uh, across the recruiting organizations, particularly in big tech, but in general, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as firms have slowed down their hiring, they've, in all industries, I've seen a lot of different it's, people get let go. The entire, I think, ecosystem for for talent acquisition has seen this. And, it, you know, you're yeah. it's so funny because you're right. It's, it's like, you know, the prediction was, recruiting is going to be a, a more strategic piece of the business. And we were, but we were <laughs> right. the strategic piece of the business to help save money. We were the cost, we were the cost mm-hmm. savings for the business. And, um, you know, unfortunately it, it, it kind of came true as a prediction, but just not in the way that, right. that I think they meant. Yeah. And I think the other thing that it says, Rodney, and this, this is not good is that the value of recruiting just isn't the same to a company as maybe the value of other roles. Mm -hmm. Because if you're so willing to get rid of what, and in many cases, very competent top level recruiters and thought leaders within recruiting, if you're willing to do that as a company, um, you know, simply because things aren't quite going in your favor knowing that full well that that will turn around at some point, because it always does. Mm -hmm. If you're willing, if you're willing to do that, particularly in mass, um, you know, what does that say about how recruiting is actually viewed? Right. Uh, and it doesn't, doesn't speak well to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I, I hate the term. I'm going to be honest with the whole seat at the table. I think the only time we yeah. get a seat at the table is when you need something. It's like dad, right? Like, Hey dad, yep. can I borrow some money <laughs> kind of thing? Like, yeah. Hey, we're, we're down these people. I need, I need whatever this skill set is. I need you to, to do it for me. And I think that's when we get a seat at the table. But I think, um, you know, I've certainly seen where you know it's been more collaborative than that but i think on the whole that's mm-hmm. that's what i see um agree anything yeah sadly sadly agree and my hope is if a company's smart and i think you and i've talked about this to some extent maybe in some of our other podcasts but my hope is, and if a company is smart is is they'll start thinking about rebuilding if they've if they've decimated their ta org rebuilding that now mm-hmm. and top grading and then doing some things because inevitably what companies do and i've seen this happen in different cycles a lot is companies will do this then when hiring starts up they're caught with their pants down mm-hmm. and and then it becomes a you know this this race again and it goes back to what you were saying where it's Oh no, we need something really, really bad, really, really fast. And and oh wait a second, we don't have anybody. Or the the two recruiters that we retain now have a zillion wrecks to contend with, mm-hmm. and and there's just no way it becomes an impossible task to keep up with with the 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 hiring demand with you know completely understaffed, and and in some cases probably you know the, the not not even the, the more seasoned people on the team, and so. If a company's smart about this, they're gonna they're gonna hopefully try to get ahead of that a little bit. I just have I, I don't have a lot of faith in that because I've just not really ever seen that happen. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and now that you say that, you know, I think it's it's the playbook is hasn't changed in decades, which is right. Let's let's trim down, and then, oh gosh, here we go. You know, let's let's ramp up really fast and hire contractors, mm-hmm. and 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 so I think that cycle is 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 decades long. So yep. you, thinking about this prediction, actually, what I would say is workforce planning will drive business critical changes because yep. everyone was caught flat footed. And that's why we're kind of in the, the layoff situation within TA that we are, because no one saw it coming and everyone just played, what is it, uh, keep up with the Joneses. Like, oh, yep. Meta's laying off. Okay, well, let's lay off too. And, you know, and I, I think it's kind of, Everyone followed each other down to the bottom, mm-hmm. but no one saw it coming. And if you've got a good workforce planning function, you can look at those things. And I, I don't think anyone Absolutely. saw it 
outside of what maybe a quarter maybe maybe mm -hmm. yep and and here we are today and you know unfortunately a lot of recruiters are struggling because of it mm -hmm. uh, but you said something too rodney and, and not to not to pivot away from this entirely but you know you mentioned something you know this this sort of playbook and the decades old playbook that it is and, mm -hmm. and, and there's another one and this is a another prediction in there as it relates to to dei and the prediction i actually this is one i actually kind of disagree with it's this idea that employers will continue down the path of of dei and you know that's not going to lose steam effectively mm -hmm. um i I would disagree with that broadly. And again, I'm being general, but and, and, and employers still may act like it's a priority. They may still give you the lip service that it's a priority. Mm -hmm. But where I have a lot of trouble with it and where, I, where I'm going to kind of call BS on it is that um, in two ways. One, and this is not part of the article, but one is I know that there's a lot of DEI professionals that have been let go, mm -hmm. right? So again, speaks to the importance and, and the you know kind of what have you done for me lately and what yeah. do I need right now? Money is not where you your know, mouth is. One hundred percent. And then the other is in the the heavy-handed return to office that you're seeing really broadly across many many organizations and many many industries, um, because it is now a well-known fact that organizations that are more flexible, particularly flexible to the point of you know in having people remote are able to hire more people of color and more uh, and more women, mm -hmm. statistically speaking. And so the minute you are eliminating that as an opportunity, the, 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 the more it's going to impact your ability to hire um, mm -hmm. a diverse workforce. And so when I, when I see that, I think those two things, you know, your actions and your, and your mouth are in opposition. Right. And so I, I, unfortunately, I, I, I go back to this. It's kind of like DEI tends to get some attention and then fall off, get some attention and mm -hmm. then fall off. And again, this is not, you know, this DEI idea is not new. It's been around for decades and right. people have talked about it and companies have talked about it for decades. Um, but again, how much headway they've made, you know, some companies probably more than others. Mm -hmm. But again, I go back to, I just don't know that many companies are really considering DEI in any material way. Yeah, you know, certainly the money to invest is not there. And, and I think we've seen that. And, and I think if you're letting go layers of leadership in the DEI space, I have to question how much diversity you're getting, diversity work is going on in your company. Um, yeah, well, how committed are you? How committed are you really? Right, right. I think you're always going to have kind of homegrown through the ERGs and, and kind of the, the people that you have, but that only gets you so far. And, right. you know, if you if you've kind of let your DEI practitioners and leaders go for all intents and purposes, who's holding you in check at that point? Your ERG leaders aren't in your meetings going, well, you know, let's look at it through this lens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and you know, yep. to your point, I, I've always looked at recruiting as a tractor pull. And so in the sense that there are only so many people and so many skill sets that are available in your market. And as you hire more of them it gets harder to get the remaining ones, right? So like a tractor pull, mm -hmm. it gets heavier and heavier and heavier until you hit a point where you can't make any more progress. And I think what you're saying is, is very similar to a tractor pull in the sense of, of mm -hmm. return to office. Um, the more you're going to kind of put those, I don't want to say, call them anti-DEI, but you know they you put things in place that are negatively af affecting your ability to attract diverse candidates. Right. It's becoming a tractor pull. And, and so the more you do that, the less you're going to get. And at some point, yeah. it's just going to stop. Right. And I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. I've never heard that analogy before, but I think it is very apropos I'm with this. Southern, and, you know, we, yeah. we do tractor pulls in the South. True. And I've been to a tractor <laughs> pull, by the way. So I'm not, that's not completely foreign to me. Um, and I've been to a demolition derby. So nice. judge me if you want. But um I, I will, yeah, and and I and I would say, yeah, it's not anti DEI per se, but what it is is to me is it's it, it doesn't help either, mm -hmm. you know. So you're not actively trying to go against the DEI side of things. I don't think that's the the reason they're doing yeah. return to office, but it's like negatively it, correlated it, it, things. It is, it is, and it is. Um, 
I'm, I was going to say unintended consequence. I don't know that I would say it's unintended necessarily. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. Let's hope that it is. But but regardless, it is a consequence of that decision mm-hmm. that certainly doesn't help anything with regard to DEI. And so I think that prediction um, was, I think it was nice and hopeful, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think it has come to fruition. And I am not really sure that it's going to be a predictor as we roll into 2024. I just, I don't see that. I, I yeah. just don't, I just don't see that being one of the top priorities of an organization um, in their actions going yeah. into 2024. Yeah. I mean, you know, it'll exist to some extent, but I just, I, again, I just don't see it being certainly as broadcast as we saw, you know, over the last few years up until, you know, the, uh, the, the, the hiring stopped. Right. Right. It's, I, you know, it's one of those things I think he's kind of frozen in time um, mm-hmm. and it'll remain frozen in time until you really kind of get that in our industry back up and running again. And, and you know, those yeah. practitioners and those thought leaders back in, back in play in a way that that mm-hmm. would work. Yep. And, and I think it's one of those things, right? It's kind of, if you look at it, it, it from a, you know, through the lens of like a Maslow's hierarchy, the, I just don't think companies, you know, they're, they're, they're back down, they're, they're lower levels now on the, uh, on the pyramid. Right. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that they're taking care of before they want to take care of the, I'm going to call them and it, you know, this is not me opining on it, but it, but it's just what I see is, you know, these nice to have, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of a kind of a things within the system within their systems. And you know, I get it. If if you're on life support, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But um, it's still, you know, you're making decisions that are impacting your your diversity. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So what else we got? Well, you know, one thing that that I thought was interesting, and it was a prediction that recruiting will have more say over pay. Oh, right. And, you know, A, there's no mechanism in place for us to to do that. I certainly haven't seen it in 2023. Um, and, and, you know, I think in the prediction, there's there's really a discussion about the feedback, feedback loop that's in place between comp, HR, and and TA. But, you know, that's always been there. And, and I don't know that that is, if anything, those conversations, A, in volume are down because recruiting activities, not what it was. Um, mm-hmm. And qualitatively, I, you know, I, I don't know that the qualitative difference is much different from, from what it has been. Right. I think that's a, a conversation that happens time immemorial um, mm-hmm. in the last, what, four, three or four years with inflation as it has risen. That's been a nonstop conversation, you know, yep. um, because candidates have been pushing the pay scales upward and upward yep. and upward. Um so I, I don't know that that has really changed. I, I certainly don't think TA has more say over pay in 2023. I mean, no, I don't. I, I think to put it as TA having a say would indicate that we can somehow make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the implication. I certainly don't see that. I've never seen that actually. Right. Um, to your point, I've seen the feedback loop, right, where you know TA is on the front line and they can they can feed the information back to to HR and to to your you know your your comp folks, you know. But at the end of the day, then the decisions don't get you know they get made up the, up the chain with comp and you know whatever executive teams involved. And so with that in mind, I you know it's they'll either do it or they don't. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's candidate by candidate or whatever. But I, but I would say this, what's interesting, I think it's almost the opposite right now in that businesses are looking to cut payback, mm-hmm. you know, um, and weird, we've seen right? that, right? Yeah. You know, and I think, but you know, it's interesting, speaking of time immemorial, I I think it, the, the, the thought process out there that still exists is if the, the what you want to try to do is get someone get your candidate for the least amount of money that yep. they'll take mm-hmm. you know and i'm thinking to myself and i've never subscribed to that by the way i've no. always thought that was a very very bad way to handle things um but i i think that they are companies are because they are back in power to an extent at least for some short period of time they're they're taking that power and they're they're putting in Again, now back to return to office. There, there, the, the the pay that that you might have seen for a software developer. I was kind of where my head was. It's gone down, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and I, 
I think companies are trying to take advantage of the situation mm-hmm. to push pay levels down that they feel more comfortable with. And I think that's going to bite them big time. Right. Because all you do when you hire somebody as cheaply as possible is you you have now automatically set them up to want to leave. Yep. Yeah, their first opportunity where they can get back to where they think they should be. And and so it's it's just it's such a short term way to handle things and it's so disruptive. Whereas if you just pay somebody really what they should be paid, you know, or close to it, it's mm-hmm. that's that's a way to go. And so I, I think you know, recruiting could pound the table right now and say, No, you need to pay this person X. The business is going, Well, we don't have to. Right. To get them. You know, which well, we've which seen sad, that. we've seen those conversations happen. Yeah. And and so I think it's the opposite. I think recruiters might pound the table, but then, you know, they're, they're not winning any of those battles right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You know, I, I see some organizations in conversations that I'm having are, are doing the best that they can on the TA side um, because you still have some some organizations where TA is handling kind of the comp analysis up front. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think it's in in um, relation to compa ratios that they're they're kind of working within the bigger picture is those compa ratios are off because of inflation, right? So even, you know, if you've got someone at a, at a one compa ratio and they're at the midpoint, they could still be wildly underpaid because the organization has not kept up with inflation and they haven't moved those midpoints up in two or three years. Right. Exactly. And, yep. you know, I think there's, um, in the worst case scenarios, sorry if that if that clipped, <laughs> but it's like in, no, no, no. In the worst case scenarios, you've got companies that are totally driven by salary compression, and they have been playing a three year game of we can't do anything because this is where these people are, and we can't raise our our midpoints because then we got to bring everybody up, and then it upsets the apple cart and we are mar- margins, and and so I think that's a really common story um, for the last Very. couple of years, and. Um, same thing, you know, we can pound the table as, as TA, but they're just going to be like, look, you know what, even though our our average compa ratio is at 90, that's where you got to be. So then you've got a double whammy, right? So you've got people, even though your midpoints are low compared to the last couple of years, you don't even have people at midpoint. You can't move people to midpoint because you've got a, a salary compression problem. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's those years of... Well, I, I was, and I have had this conversation. I've said this to comp people before. I said, so your years of bad decisions with pay <laughs> are are now coming home to roost. It, because essentially that's what it is. Because what happens then is you get to a point where the market punches you in the face. Mm-hmm. And 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 I and I and I have told them, I said, so so what you're telling me is you don't want me to hire anybody then because you're afraid of all the salary compression stuff, which that's that's a business decision to be made and it's not sure. my choice yep. but i'm but i'm just telling you like here's what you're looking at here is that choice you know mm-hmm. you can you can do something for your people or not do something for your people and then you can either choose to hire this person at a higher comp ratio than you feel comfortable with um or not hire that person you know or, or lowball them offer wise and then they don't take it so you know so right that's kind of what we're looking at and believe me i in more than one company, because this is not uncommon, right? This is how yeah. this is particularly a large company. This is this is this is the mo. Yeah, and it always kind of struck me as funny. I mean, I get it. They're trying to preserve margins and profitability, and I I get that because pay in a lot of organizations is your one of your bigger you know bigger costs. Mm-hmm. But you know there there's times when you've got to react a little bit. Be a little more generous than maybe you want to, and if and if you're a little more generous over time, you don't find yourself in quite that same spot where you right. then you've got to do the big, the big market adjustment on everybody, which is typically a you know pretty big amount of money. Mm-hmm. And and you know I would say if if your hiring manager listening to us or your recruiter listening to us, really the conversation to have is exactly that, David. You've you've got to change it to change the salary compression problem because as long as you keep kicking the can down the road. And artificially compressing your your comp, all you're doing is making it worse at some point in the future. And the way mm-hmm. to do that is to hire new people in at market. And you have now have the data that says, okay, we need to start bringing people up and budgeting for that and making it happen. But if you continue to say, you know what, 
everybody's at 0.9 so we need to keep people between 0.5 and 0.9 and we can't bring anybody above 0.9 because the guys that i've had for five ten years are at that point i don't want to upset the apple cart yeah you know if if you're if you're kind of keeping everything status quo you're just building up so much um what is, what is it static energy and it's going to release like an mm-hmm. earthquake. You're a California guy, right? And that's what happens. And that's, and that's when you get to the market adjustment. And I think maybe some companies, maybe that's their business decision is, yeah, yeah. you know, we'll make the market adjustment when we absolutely have to. <laughs> yes. You know, and I'm like, okay, I guess I mean, that's certainly <laughs> one, way to, one way to handle it. Um, pay me now you know, or pay me later. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Um, now that I, I agree. And I think that is good advice. And you probably got to say, if there's any comp people that out there, they're probably, even if they agree with us, they're probably cringing. Um, (laughs) but, um, but, uh, another, another one and kind of pivoting away from that for a minute is that I thought was really interesting. And actually I do think is, 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 has come true to an extent in 2023 and will continue to come true in 2024 is this idea of, Hiring for skills versus, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better way to put it, skills versus, say, like degrees. So the well, skill first hiring, mm-hmm. uh, which I think actually is a really smart thing for companies to do. And when I, we've seen some companies, you know, broadcast this a little bit, like I think it's Walmart has gotten rid of um, the degree requirement on many, many of their jobs that they mm-hmm. used to have. Um, you know, and, and I think there are others as well. And I, the idea of that, I think is, is brilliant. And looking at what people can bring to the table, you know, f- through whatever background that they have, I think is absolutely brilliant. I also think that it allows, uh, companies to go and recruit at places they traditionally wouldn't have been able to, to go and recruit mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a junior college versus a university or a trade school versus a university, you know, things like that. And I just think that it opens the aperture of your ability to go get good, smart, qualified people um, when you're not holding yourself to that artificial level that's created by, you know, we've got to have a degree. Mm-hmm. So I actually really, really think that's smart. And and we are seeing some of that. And, and I think companies are really going to benefit from that. Oh, and by the way, I think that's an actual plus on the on the DEI side. I think it's yeah. going to help with the diversity hiring too. So, I think I think that's a really really positive move and and I think that prediction has certainly come true and is going to continue um to come true over the course of time. I'm happy to see that go away, you know, and I think I've spent time in in organizations that were big enough degree snobs and um you know, there's there's pluses and minuses to it, right? So, I I think having a highly educated workforce is different from a highly skilled Mm-hmm. And if if you're at a McKinsey or a Bain, you know, you're going to have a highly educated workforce, very smart people able to adapt and do things that that others just cannot do. But that's not every company. Right. You know, and um, so I'm, I'm glad to see that go away. I, I think you're always going to have pockets of it. But mm-hmm. man, you know, just the idea of, you know, why does a recruiter need a degree? For sure. Right. Um, and, you know, it's funny, like as as I've gotten older in my career, sometimes I'll run into like people who are admins and things like that. I'm like, how is this person an admin? You know, how how did someone not see how smart this person is and develop them into something else? And I, I've always you know, I and I think what happens is people fall prey to that. Right. They don't have a yeah. degree and they end up getting pigeonholed and. For all intents and purposes, I don't think we go around our organizations going, who's got the degree? Who's, You know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. so you just kind of say, okay, that person's an admin, that person's a recruiter, this person's this, this person's that, and that's what they do. And right. you, you kind of pigeonhole people. Absolutely. I, I, I have seen that. You know, I, I, gosh, I have seen that in many organizations, and you'll talk to people and, and they'll say, or I'll ask them like, well, why don't you go for that role? Oh, well, it requires a degree, and I don't right. have a degree. Isn't that sad? You know, it is, and and it's funny because you you know at that point you know they're just missing out on a really good person mm-hmm. um, for the sake of again trying to hold the line on the degree when in reality the degree doesn't really matter, you know. And for many jobs, degrees actually don't matter. 
you know, there, there are always going to be you know, like, like a CPA, right? You've got to have an accounting mm-hmm. degree, pass the CPA, you know, to be able to sit for the CPA exam, and then you have to pass the CPA exam, et cetera. Same thing with attorneys or doctors. Mm-hmm. I get it, right? You know, um, those things will always exist and should exist. But man, there are a lot of jobs that don't really require a degree right. that have been that have that have that have historically required a degree. And I think as much as I would love to say that recruiting requires a degree, it surely does not. No. Um, you know, sales, there's a lot, you know, I can I can go down the list, right, of of things that just that just don't. And I think that companies are smart. The other thing, and I and I think about it in these terms as well, is that as college continues to get more expensive and mm-hmm. unattainable for people. Um, I think people are making different decisions on whether or not they even go to college. Yeah. And so if you're going to have, you know, and I don't know what the stats are, so I could be a little off on this. So, so, you know, if somebody wants to fact check me, that would be fine. But, and maybe this is a prediction is that I don't know that people are going to continue to go to college in the same way that maybe they, they have over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if that's the case, you would have fewer college graduates on the other end of it, right? And therefore, less college educated people to be in the workforce, which I don't necessarily even know that that's a bad thing, you know? Because no. um, I believe me, I know a lot of very successful educated. Now they have a skill, you know, they bring something, they, they bring a skill to the table. Mm-hmm. And more power to them. And I think that that's more the reality that that um, that we're going to see on a go forward basis. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, OK, so now I'm going to get really meta on you. Um, so I, I think in this country we have as a as a people, as an American people, completely botched the idea of of managing our human capital really well. And in up and down the line, just from from elementary school education up through high school and, and, and college education, we have just lost the narrative completely and Mm -hmm. just lost the opportunity to, to kind of put people on the right path in their, in their careers. And, and we've kind of slotted everybody and said, if you want to be successful, go to college. And that's not true. hundred percent not true. And, and I think there's, there's started to become a, a, a conversation, a more robust conversation around skilled trades, which is great. And, and you're starting Mm -hmm. to see programs in high school and the junior colleges that are, that are kind of taking advantage of that. And, but even, you know, in technical roles, I mean, you don't have to be an engineer. You might just want to be a technician. You might be happy being a technician. Mm -hmm. You might want to be a very successful coder, right? You know, and you don't have to, and you don't have to be a computer science person to be a very, very successful coder. Right. And I'll I'll give you, so my, my son is in um, an aviation program in high school and I live on the space coast of Florida. So NASA is right here, Blue Origin, SpaceX and everything. Um, They're in high school, Blue Origin donated a space capsule to them. And these are high school kids tearing it down and putting it back together high school kids. Um, NASA has contracted with them. They're building cabinets that are going into the space station. That's very real hardware that these kids are, they, they put a, last year they, they put a plane together. <laughs> it's crazy. That's amazing. I love that. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the idea that we don't have enough of it essentially. Right. So, so I think about all, you worked at Northrop Grumman. I worked at L3 Harris um, a lot of the people who came into those technician jobs had never done anything like that. They might've done some soldering and things like that, but, you know, at that age, at 15, 16, 17, they hadn't done that kind of work, which now it's great to see that there's a source for that in this area, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of room nationwide for that to happen. And, and when you do that and give people the choices rather than what we told people for, you know, when we were growing up, go to college, you know, be successful, mm-hmm. go to college. That is, that is huge because these kids are coming out making like $30 an hour mm-hmm. out of high school. And that's, you know, it's not a ton of money if you got a family and everything, but for an 18 year old, 19 year old kid, that's great. And, you know, that's you've cool. got plenty of room from there. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know that we, as a, as an American people, as a society, um, have necessarily thought through, the human capital available to us and how we're going to kind of move the needle going forward 
with our economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, and it's funny, you, you talk about this, and now we're going to get very philosophical because I've got some thoughts on this, too. <laughs> um, this is very much it's moving away from for. this article now. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's 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 this, I, I think there was a time, and I don't know exactly when this is, where college did start to prove out to make people more successful, quote mm -hmm. unquote, right? Monetarily speaking, I think that's really where you have to look at it. Um, I think over time, as college has gotten more expensive and and you're starting to see too how a lot of degrees now that you can get don't really yield much for you yeah and and i think we've seen more and more of that happening over time too so now college isn't kind of the sure bet investment that it once was mm -hmm. um and and I love the idea of the trades and things for sure. And if anybody, you know, I'm just going to put a plug in because I think the show is wonderful. Um, you know, it's it's uh, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. Mm -hmm. um, and then Mike Rowe talks a lot about the trades and, and things. And he actually donates and all that stuff because he's a huge proponent of that. Um, but I think that it, I, I, why I like the show and why I like to hear what Mike Rowe has to say is I think it's just so relevant. And I think you're, <laughs> you're, it's, you're spot on. And it's it's this, this other path that just doesn't get highlighted enough early enough to folks uh to you know high school students junior high school students whatever and it's such a shame and, I, and mm -hmm. i'll even tell you here's a story so um my wife you know was a high school teacher for a long time and she saw firsthand how the school which shall remain nameless um <laughs> if you know who i am you know the school um <laughs> Yeah, but I but I don't think it's unique at this school either, right? So I should I should say that. So this is not trying to impugn a specific high school. Uh, would the counselors and teachers would push these certain requirements, mm -hmm. and but they would put them under the guise of these are the requirements to graduate, which is not entirely true. Oh wow! So what these requirements were, and I, I want to say they're called A through Gs or something. There's some term in in education for it that um, they, they, they're actually the requirements such that you could go to college. Okay. Um, but they're not termed that way. And so I think it's very disingenuous how they talked to the kids about, well, you got to take this, you got to take that versus like, no, you, you actually don't have to take math when you're a junior. Right. You know, you, you know, you don't have to take that. You've got enough math units to graduate high school um, for example. Right. And again, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from taking math, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that, that, you know, the kids are given the wrong information because it's this, this push to try to get them to go to college yeah. when, yeah. And, and I will tell you what you, and my wife would tell it, would, would echo this, you know, full well, there's a bunch of those kids that are never going to go to college mm -hmm. or couldn't, you know, college. And, by way, <laughs> and by the way, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but, but, but what, what they're not being told is what is the alt, what is my alt, if I don't go to college, what are my alternate paths such that I can be um, monetarily successful and contribute to society? Mm -hmm. And I think too much of the time, they just have to figure it out on their own. Yeah. You know, maybe they've got a mentor that helps them or maybe their parent helps them, you know, in, in a lot of instances. But I, I feel like as a society, why are we not helping them? Exactly. You know, why is the high school not helping them? You know, like, you know, you, they're not having to tell them you should do X, but it's, hey, if you if you're thinking college is not your your thing, Here's some other alternatives. Here's some here's some other ways you can go that can very much allow you to be a very successful contributing member of society, take care of your family, all all those mm -hmm. things. And I would love to see more of that. And I think we would all benefit societally speaking right. if if there was more of that. I we're super lucky like the the school that my son goes to, super lucky. And and I think this is still relevant to the skills first hiring, to be honest with you, because this is just mm -hmm. how you acquire those skills. Um like they have an automotive program to where you come out and you're like ASC certified out of high school. And you know how much mecha mechanics make great money That's now. Awesome. It's insane. They make fantastic money. Yep. And, and so I think they've got a, a, a Marine mechanics one, an auto mechanics one, this aviation program. Um, so I, I think there's, there's opportunity there for us to do better. And Agreed. Um, everyone doesn't need to go get highly educated. You know, you can mm -hmm. easily and, and again, if we're talking about, you know, shortfalls of, of manpower in a lot of these more, you know, technical roles, 
we can certainly structure it to where they are skill-based roles. You don't have to have a complete degree. Now, I get it. If you're designing a rocket, you're going to have to have past, you know, engineering physics and, and you know, exactly. linear algebra and stuff like that. But um, not every role is like that. No. In fact, I would say arguably most are not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would say most are not. And and by the way, the those folks, you know, the middle class, which has been dwindling for too many years, you know, the middle class is the engine of our society and we should do everything we can to, to preserve it, you know, and I'm not going to get into the politics of all of that, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to walk down that, 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 path. <laughs> but, um, but I, but I do believe that the more you can preserve that middle class, the better off we'll be. And, and I think that we've even, you know, historically as the middle class has been bigger than it is now, I, th- I think we saw that. I think society benefited at those times when the middle class was more robust than it is now. Yep. And, I, you know, I think it comes back to skills, right? So how can we provide mm-hmm. those skills at an earlier point? Because at this point, we've created a Rube Goldberg machine. You're familiar with what a Rube Goldberg machine is? I am not. So I'll, I'll send you like an example of one, but it's a it's a joke kind of, but it's a highly complicated machine that does something very simple. Think of like um, of a wily e. Coyote trap. Right. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, Okay. So we have created a Rube Goldberg machine out of our education system that's wildly complicated (laughs) um, and and not easy. Yeah, not easy to um, to even get through to do something as simple as just transfer skills and knowledge. And, you know, I think the idea that that you need to go get master's degrees on on a lot of things now is, you know, obviously we're we're doing it wrong. Right. Because the idea Mm -hmm. is as society gets complex and it has gotten technically complex, let's, you know, make sure that the kids coming out of our school system are ready to deal with that. And I think right now, for the most part, we're just kind of saying, go deal with it in college, kid. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's interesting. It made me think, I, I literally had this conversation with um, um, with a friend of mine this, this, this past weekend. And, um, he lives out in, he lives out in Texas in San Antonio successful, you know, and he was, he was telling me, we, cause we were talking, we were talking about this very thing. And, and he was telling me about, um, a, a kid he knows, cause I say kid, uh, early twenties, mm-hmm. um, who actually is on his way to be a master plumber mm-hmm. and was, was talking about, so he works for a company now, but his plan is to leave this company when he gets to that master plumber and open his own business, which I think is a very, very noble goal. But he was telling my friend, he was saying that, look, he's like, there's so much work. You you, you practically have to beat it off with a stick mm-hmm. when you, when, you know, and he said, so for me to leave this company and go, it's like, it's not even a big deal. It's not like I'm really even competing with this other company. It's, it's, we've got so much work because there's just not enough people doing this work. Right. You know, right. and plumbers, for those that, that may not know this, plumbers make really great money too. And then if, you know, if you own your own business and you get some guys under you and, you know, you build that, like you can really make a fantastic living mm-hmm. as, as a plumber, for example, right? And I go, it goes right back to that skills-based trade thing. And it's something that he's acquiring over time, right? But he's working right. very hard to acquire it. And, you know, and because anything, anything, anything high skill requires time and effort, right? Whether it's formal education, whether it's apprenticeships, whatever, but it, it's, you know, but I, I, you know, I hear that and I'm like, why aren't more people told that? Yep. You know, like here's a path for you. Not everyone wants to be a plumber. I understand that, but like here it could be a path for you and mm-hmm. you will do really well. And it's going to be, you know, better than working at McDonald's. Yep. Nothing is, you know, people working at McDonald's, but for most people, that's not the end goal. You know, and mm-hmm. so again, I'm not trying. I'm really, I'm not trying to say anything negative about anybody that works at McDonald's, but because um, anybody that works in my mind is doing the right thing. But exactly. But again, it's not the it's not the end goal for most people. And if there's another path you can take to elevate your you know your earning potential, most people will take it. Yeah. And um, but again, they have to be told. They have to be shown or get lucky and find it. And I you know when when I say get lucky and find it, you know that's kind of you know you got to hope that they find it, and hope is not a strategy. Right. So you got to, you know, you, you really have to, I think, guide these people, um, you know, or guide our, you know, our youth and all these folks into all the alternatives. And then, you know, they can choose whatever is most appropriate. Um, but I will mm-hmm. tell you, one of the things this, you know, people will probably laugh at me for this. You know, it's when you're choosing a major in college, um, I would I tell people your best bet, your major better sound like a job. 
mm-hmm. um, because <laughs> it doesn't. If you know accounting, engineering, right, <laughs> right, you know, um, you know, even like finance to some degree, but like the closer it sounds to an actual job out there, the better off you're going to be. Um, because unfortunately, you know, now I think folks that are majoring in, you know, more of the kind of the, the liberal arts kind of things, again, nothing, nothing wrong with that, but from a jobs prospect perspective, mm-hmm. it's going to limit you unless of course you go to law school or, right. or something like that. But, you know, you, you can think about that if you're paying, you know, $20,000 a semester in tuition, you know, are you yeah. maximizing, you know, what that's going to do for you on the back end? And you really, sadly, it is that college is fun, but college is also, you know, something you, it's, it's, it's a stepping stone in your life and you need mm-hmm. to make the most of it, particularly given the level of investment that goes in both time and money, you've got to maximize that arguably more so than ever. Um, you know, the, 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 it was a little, it was a little less so a decade ago, I would argue, but these yeah. days, you know, you've really got to think about that. So I, yeah, I was, I was in college in the nineties and I graduated in the nineties and I was probably Same. of this, the last generation who could take the tack that I took. And I took the tack of almost like a classical education, right? I, I didn't go into college necessarily thinking I was going to have a specific job going out. And I, I, I was looking at becoming a psychologist, but my focus when I was in college was to learn how to think. And so I structured mm-hmm. my entire college education around, okay, I realize that I did not grow up in a, in a home with two college educated parents. You know, I had limited kind of intellectual opportunities for, for development in the household. Um, so I need to, to really kind of put myself on par and really kind of learn how to think through problems. And, and so I structured my, like I minored in French, like, why, why did I do that? Because, you know, it's, it's like the old school, like learning Latin kind of thing. Like you need to learn a new mm-hmm. language. Um, so I, I did that, but I don't think you can get away with that now to your point. No, sadly, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can either. And, and that's, a, and that's a very noble goal, you know, mm-hmm. to, to do that. And I think that that college does that for many people. I know it certainly did that for me, but it, but I actually took a, the, the opposite tax. I, I was accounting, mm-hmm. you know, because, but it took me a while to get there. I, I changed majors several different times because I was so unsure. And like you, you know, I came from, you know, from a home with absolutely wonderful, loving parents, but they were not college educated mm-hmm. and they weren't able to provide the same level of advice. I think that somebody who is college educated to their child as it relates to how to navigate college because they've right. never navigated college or right? didn't know. And, and so I, um, by the time I got to be a junior, that's when I, you know, moved over into, into the accounting major. And then fortunately was able to turn that into something, but it's, um, uh, you know, because, and honestly, it's because I was too afraid of what was the alternative, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. my, my decision was not that I was like, oh my God, I just love accounting. It was, I'm pretty good at this and I can get a pretty good job with this. Right. Right. So for me, it was it was more of a risk mitigation, I would argue, than than anything. Certainly not a passion project. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I was only an accountant for about two years after college. Um, <laughs> but um, but but anyway, so so I think that yeah, I think that all does go back to your point to the to the skills side of things, and I think we've gone in a lot of different directions on that, but. I think the takeaway for anybody listening to our um, ramblings on skills is that it's important. Yeah. And, and I think that it, you know, any, any way that anybody else can help um, and guide, I think it's an important, an important thing. Yeah. And, and I hope that, I hope that we see more of it over time. Um, and I think that more, the more employers drive it and allow for it, I think that is going to sort of permeate back into the system a little bit. And then mm-hmm. people will understand a little bit better, like, oh, well, wait a second. If employers are not requiring this, but they're requiring skills, maybe that's the way I'm going to go. Yeah. So I think that it's going to have a, a positive impact over time, you know, beyond just helping any one employer have, you know, more candidates to consider, for example. Exactly. Completely agree. And I, I think, you know, the more people take a, a, um, a an affirmative outlook on acquiring their own skills, because it's not like you can just trust I'm going to go through the education system. I'm going to come out roses anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you have right. to be very intentional to the, the skills that you're acquiring. Yeah, 100% agree. So I think with that, um, you know, there are more things within this article. We'll link the article 
that that certainly for anybody that's interested. But I think those are those are some of the bigger ones mm-hmm. that 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 you and I you know determined were you know important to talk about. Um, and you, you to your point, I, I think it was kind of funny. It's there's there's stuff in there that you you will read it and you'll go like, well, duh. <laughs> you know, um, you know, so I think there's some of the I'm going to say just the painfully obvious stuff, which is what we didn't want to talk about because that uh, because it's painfully obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I did, it's an interesting article. And I, and I really am curious to see how some of this does pan out actually as we roll into 2024, because as many of you, maybe all of you know, 2023 has been a heck of a year in yeah. a lot of different ways. Yeah. You know, we we should put a pin in this and see what happens when they what they predict for 2024. And just yeah, keep the conversation. I just I'm interested to see how this will work out. I am as well. And and, and you think right, LinkedIn being LinkedIn, they have a lot of data, mm-hmm. you know, through a lot of different channels. And so um, I, I that's why I don't take lightly when they put out predictions like this because my my assumption <laughs> is is that there's some level of thinking and data behind where some of these, these, these things come from. And, um, and again, LinkedIn has, you know, a lot of data that a lot of other companies just don't have as it, as it relates to the job market and recruiting. So it's, it is going to be interesting to see how, how things roll out as we finish up this year and certainly roll into 2024. Completely agree. And I I can't believe we we've been speaking for this long. So (laughs) it's it's been too fun. we We will relieve the ears of those that have been, that have been listening. No, no, it's it's always it's always a great time, David. I appreciate you partnering with me on this. It's always a ton of fun, and and thanks to the listeners who've uh, who've been following us and listening to us. Appreciate any any feedback you guys get, and and uh, love you guys. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thank you all. All right, thanks for listening to that recruiter show. <laughs>